Clinical Pearls, brought to you by Medicom Oncology. This is uh, Eitan Stein. Um, I'm going to be discussing uh, an abstract from ASCO 2017 entitled Enesitinib in Mutant IDH2 Relapsed to Refractory Acute Myeloid Leukemia, Results of a Phase I Dose Escalation and Expansion Study. So approximately 10 to 15% of patients with acute myeloid leukemia have a mutation in a gene called IDH2. And when the, this gene is not mutated, the normal function of the gene is to help produce energy for the cell and convert isocitrate to alpha-ketoglutarate. So the enzymatic product of this gene, um, the enzyme isocitrate dehydrogenase, converts isocitrate to alpha-ketoglutarate. When there is a mutation in IDH2, in this case, that mutant enzyme, instead of converting isocitrate to alpha-ketoglutarate, converts alpha-ketoglutarate to beta-hydroxyglutarate, such that intracellularly there are increased levels of beta-hydroxyglutarate, and those elevated levels of beta-hydroxyglutarate lead to epigenetic changes in the cell, including histone hypermethylation, which blocks cellular differentiation. And that block in cellular differentiation is the phenotypic um, effect and what you see phenotypically when a patient has acute myeloid leukemia, such that their, their um, bone marrow cells are frozen in an immature state at the myeloblast stage of development. So preclinical uh, studies have shown quite nicely that by blocking mutant IDH2, you get lower levels of um, beta-hydroxyglutarate intracellularly that allow these immature cells to be unfrozen and to mature into normal healthy neutrophils. So based on that preclinical work, a phase one and two clinical study was uh, developed. That clinical study came really in three pieces. The first piece was a phase one dose escalation component where the oral drug enosidinib is given in um, 28-day cycles, um, at the beginning either once or twice a day, now it's just once a day, and when that dose escalation component of the study was uh, deemed to be successful because the drug was safe and tolerable and there was some preliminary evidence of activity, there were four dose expansion arms that were opened in that phase one study. So the first dose expansion arm, actually the first two dose expansion arms were in patients with relapsed and refractory AML. The third dose expansion arm was in patients with untreated AML, and the fourth dose expansion arm was for patients with IDH2 mutations that didn't fit into to the first three dose expansion arms. So the subject of uh, this abstract is all of those patients in the phase one dose escalation and the phase one dose expansion arms who had relapsed and refractory acute myeloid leukemia. There is a separate phase two expansion of the study only for patients with relapsed and refractory acute myeloid leukemia that is not the topic of this abstract. The patients that were treated in this uh, dose escalation and dose expansion arm with relapsed and refractory AML had a median age of 67 years old. Uh, most of the patients had um, the predominant isoform of um, R14, our IDH2 mutation called the R140 mutation while about 25% of patients had the less predominant R172 isoform of the mutation. Uh, many of these patients were older. 
um, and could not receive induction chemotherapy. So they had been on and failed a low-intensity regimen like a hypomethylating agent or low-dose cytarabine. And um, the uh, uh, proportion of patients who had um, either not responded to induction chemotherapy or had relapsed after a bone marrow transplant or relapsed quickly after uh, initial induction therapy was quite high. So the, the point of all this is to say that this is a very poor-risk patient population. Um, even though all patients with AML are a poor-risk patient population, I would argue that this is the poorest of the poor-risk patient population. So this drug was given. When you look at the safety of the drug, the drug is considered very, very safe in the sense that there were few grade three or four um, adverse events that were attributable to the study drug. The most frequent was an indirect hyperbilirubinemia, which has no clinical sequelae, which is an off-target effect of the drug that it inhibits an enzyme called UGT1A1. That enzyme is important for um, um, conjugating bilirubin. But when you have inhibition of that enzyme, you can get a small increase in the indirect bilirubin. Uh, when we looked at the efficacy of the drug, we were really quite, quite um, excited. Um, in this poor-risk patient population, the overall response rate um, was about 40%, with 20% of those patients achieving a true complete remission with blast clearance and hematologic recovery, and the other 20% of patients achieving um, either a complete remission with incomplete count recovery, a partial remission, or a morphologic leukemia-free state. And what that all translated into in terms of overall survival was an overall survival rate, a median overall survival of uh, 9.3 months in the entire patient population that was treated. If you then broke that down by patients who were um, uh, in complete remission, um, had a response but, the, but not a complete remission response, or patients with no response, the uh, overall survival, median overall survival in patients with a complete remission was um, over a year and a half, 19.3 months. Uh, the median overall survival of the patients um, with a complete remission with incomplete count recovery or partial remission was a little bit less at about 11 months. And, um, and obviously the patients who didn't respond had a, a uh, lower median overall survival. Um, a couple of translational aspects of this abstract that I, I found interesting are that, uh, number one, it didn't depend um, whether what the baseline beta-hydroxyglutarate <coughs> level was at diagnosis um, in terms of response. So whether you had a low beta-hydroxyglutarate level or a high beta-hydroxyglutarate level at diagnosis, it didn't influence if you responded to the drug. And secondly, it didn't, there was no uh, influence on response to the drug based on variant allele fraction of the drug. That is, you could have low levels of, IDH, of an IDH2 mutation or high levels of an IDH2 mutation, and um, uh, you had an equally, uh, equally as great chance of responding to an acidinib. So um, overall, I think this is a real advance forward for patients with relapsed and refractory acute uh, myeloid leukemia with an IDH2 mutation. Uh, the drug is actually now being evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration for um, approval, and, and we're excited and, and hopeful that the drug will be approved. Um, and the next steps when it comes to, to treating patients with this drug is um, <coughs> moving this drug into earlier lines of therapy, such that right now there are clinical trials that are combining this with standard of care induction chemotherapy 
uh, and with uh, standard of care hypomethylating agents for patients who are a little bit older who can't tolerate induction chemotherapy. Um, so that, that's what we're excited about, and that's where this drug is moving forward. Clinical Pearls brought to you by Medicom Oncology. Don't forget to subscribe to the Medicom Oncology podcast channel for more clinical pearls. And be sure to visit managingaml.com for more practice resources.